Spring practice is in full swing and the quarterback competition is underway. Let's talk about it on today's episode of Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On UCLA. I'm Zach Anderson. Yoxheimer once again joined by Max Keltner as we bring you the Locked On UCLA podcast. It's free where we get your podcast. It's your team almost every day, pretty much daily when we aren't too busy, but we're getting back in the swing of things here in April as we get into spring football practice. Like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube channel and also follow us at Locked On Bruins for more information on Twitter. So Max, we're deep into it. We're talking football Basketball, we'll get more news when we get there, but you know nothing's changed too much other than Clark keeping the door open and the Bruins seeing Kenneth Nubo return. For football, though, the big thing is who's going to win the quarterback starting position. And instead of it being a three-horse race, it looks like a four-horse race based on the updates and everything provided from everybody covering UCLA football, from Justin Martin actually getting some significant reps, Colin Schley, Dante Moore, and Ethan Garbers. Those are the four men who got significant reps in day one of spring practice. And what's it like, you know, you, you think about it, Max. It's not how you start, it's how you finish at the end of spring, heading into fall, that truly will make a difference. No doubt about it. Uh, I think the name that headlines, you know, uh, of course, everybody was looking out for how Dante Moore was going to compete. Um, it looked like he had a connection with Josiah Norwood early on in practice, both he and, he and the wideout, uh, it seemed like they were on the same page. They connected on a couple of deep balls that looked impressive. Uh, from everything I'm reading, I hear that this kid is just, he's fun to be around, a fun-loving guy, a good, a good leader. And at a young age, that's kind of what you would, you would want out of a, a quarterback who might be able to move into a, a freshman starting role, right, even in his first year. So I think that was the headline, but there's so much more that goes into it aside from the quarterback position. But that's, I think, what a lot of folks were most excited to see come, you know, first day of spring spring practice. I think the two biggest things, it was reported, and it looked like the best percentage completion for the most part in the best day of practice may have landed with Ethan Garbers, despite, despite Moore's ability to impress, showcasing the deep ball, hitting the, you know, the throwing practice, all the things that can look cool in practice on the side when the quarterbacks are doing their drills off to the side when the team's learning the plays and learning the offense or learning the defense under Danton Lynn. So it was nice to see Moore thrive and get some shout-outs from, from his teammates in the post-practice interviews, but it seemed like Ethan Garbers was the one who you would think so. He's been in the system the longest. He's been around quite some time. He's actually played in games, filling in for Dorian Thompson-Robinson in key moments, and especially late in the, in the bowl game, against Pittsburgh earlier this year or late last year I should say and he would have the best you know he would have the best practice you would think all right if it's easy completion boom he's got that Justin Martin who's got the athleticism and kind of that dark horse factor mentality probably to him just trying to learn and grow and maybe earn himself a backup spot or surprisingly jump to the front who knows but then it's Colin Schley who showcased some of that all right, he's got to learn the offense, 59% completion percentage last year. He's got the upside, but at some point, upside's got to translate to learning the offense, knowing the system. And one of the biggest things that could decide this quarterback battle is last year, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you can knock him for the turnovers all you want. 
It was completion percentage. It was knowing the offense. It was the dual threat ability, which maybe Schley could add to it, you know, that could help him step up. But it's the ability to complete the passes at a high clip and know the offense and just let Chip Kelly's system run itself and you're going to score 40 points a game. That is the thing. You can't step up two out in front, which is why I'm thinking Dante Moore. Garbers have the early, the early step ahead in front of the other two. You know, it, it's surprising to see Schley, who, you know, the transfer from Kent State, um, he just – he didn't perform that first day of practice. You talk about he threw four picks and just a, a player that, – that's just during scrimmage play. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just the first time out. It's the first time out. Chip Kelly's going to look at this process holistically. And you talk about, you know, just the quarterback competition. I think first it's healthy for a team environment, for – players to compete for their positions, no position um, given rather yet earned, you know, and, and that's what you expect with when Chip Kelly's at the helm. Um, so I'd expect Schley to turn it around. Um, and then Garbers, he was solid. You know, you, you talk about the upside for a young man who played back up the last couple of years, um, just has to hit on on his easy routes. You know, he's hitting throws on the harder routes, has to be that consistent on the easier routes too. And I think it's, it's easy stuff to – to, to clean up, like I said, first day back. So uh, it's really exciting seeing this competition blow, blow away from you know the, the, the three or four top guys at the quarterback position. Yeah, I know this episode will drop during day two of spring practice, which we'll update, I believe, on Friday or Monday. We'll see when we get to the spring practice updates. But initially, it seems like Garber is a, minor, a mini lead, Dante Moore getting some flashes, and then Martin saying, hey, I'm getting my hat in the ring, or Maybe that's Chip Kelly saying, hey, more quarterbacks, the more competition. Every job is open. There's those coaches that said no jobs in the college game. I've dealt with coaches during my when broadcasting. Coaches like to have it, as you mentioned, competition fuels fire. Earning your spot is better than having it given, right? Of course, there's certain players you think, he's going to start, you know, he's going to start, and he's going to start. Like in terms of, oh, the O-line might be set, certain spots, but skill positions, who's going to earn time, right? You've got big-name transfers from the wide receivers to the tight ends to the running backs and into the quarterbacks and freshmen and all that coming in. So there are spots to be competed for. There are jobs to be won and earned. And this is only step one of a long ongoing process from April all the way to around Labor Day weekend right there when they play Coastal Carolina in the fall in September of 2023. And they've got to be ready because Coastal Carolina's got their quarterback back. So that will be a fun opening week in the final year of Pac-12 play. Hey, why, why not go and try and steal Pac-12 title? It starts it starts with spring practice. The off-season workout's technically when it starts, but then it keeps going with the, you know, spring practice into fall camp. Yeah, and and you're you're also just looking for this team to develop a little bit, right? You know, as as much as this year is is do or die, you know, boom or bust in the Pac-12, you're moving to the Big Ten conference um, the following season. And it's a really good opportunity to, to develop this program, build some chemistry when you play against arguably a better conference and better teams moving forward. That's why I think there's so much poise around a guy like Dante Moore. But it's not really a question of what's good for the future this year. It's what's good for this year and, and to win now. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know Chip Kelly make some good maneuvers here in spring to prepare for that, that Coastal Carolina matchup. But um, this team will be ready to go, you know, when it comes comes time to go and, and compete in the fall. Just a question of who that personnel will be, and that's the that's what makes this this you know spring practice so much fun. So fun seeing Danson let in there. You have 
can. Neil Matalolo, the new advisor for UCLA. Yep. You've got a lot of staff changes. A lot of people trying to make their voices heard, establish their presence, establish the rock, the foundation, right? This is where the foundation is built. There's the hard individual workouts when you're working to the side and whatnot, but then there's the foundation on which to build what your team will, you know, the ideas, the philosophies, the personal, everything is built here. The foundation is built in April, in December, and it builds and, you know, it, the pinnacle is reached the next January if you reach that. And that is where this all starts. In the meantime, we're going to talk about FanDuel because, you know, the NBA playoffs are here. And, you know, if you were a betting person, you wouldn't have thought that maybe this one particular UCLA player would come back. You know, you, you didn't think so. But we'll talk about her when we tell you after more about FanDuel Sportsbook because the NBA playoffs literally around the quarter max. It's perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. You can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win if you're a new customer. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on everything from money line, point scores, and three strained. You can even get bigger parlays with the same game parlays for bigger payouts. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the link, or if just look, type in the URL, FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports book partner, special sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Cruising on into Locked On UCLA second segment. Max Kelton, I'm Zach Anderson. Yoxheim with you guys. Who's coming back for UCLA? Well, that's Charisma Osborne. Just getting right out to it. We didn't expect her to come back. It didn't seem like she was going to come back. But she's coming back alongside with fifth-year senior Cameron Brown. That gives UCLA their top four scorers from a year ago returning and four of their five starters from a year ago returning, coming back with already a number one recruiting class, freshmen turning into sophomores as UCLA, and I believe on ESPN's way too early preseason top 25, actually listed UCLA as the sixth best team heading into next year without Charisma Osborne. I'm not sure how right that is, considering even with Osborne this year, they still had some strides to make, but... I think with Osborne, UCLA can certainly compete for a, a Final Four spot, a lead eight, which they've gotten to Corey Close, gotten to with Corey Close once, Max. And dare I say, even though everybody's yeah. going to pipe in with UConn as the the national championship heavy favorite with their injuries coming to an end, I think UCLA can throw their hat in the ring as a true interesting contender to keep an eye on for the twenty three twenty four season. Well, Zach, I think it's a great point. It's something we even talked about before the show is how much youth there is on this team and how far this team got with with all of these freshman players, Kiki Rice, London Jones, uh, Lena Sontag, and Gabriela Hawkins. Those are four key contributors that were all freshmen moving into their sophomore season next year. And the fact that they have their general back is just such a, a – such a, a, a 
thrill, like a new piece. Personal, it seems like a new piece, but it's actually just the player that has consistently been that leader for you time and time again on the court. The player that this team will miss most next year is Gina Conti. Let's be clear, right? The transfer out of Wake Forest, you know, that's a player. She provided some really good minutes in her first true season of playing ball with the Bruins. That said, though, there's so much depth at the guard position that, frankly, they can afford to lose her and have a couple of other players step in. I think that, you know, because they're not really losing the majority of their other players, um, I, I think I think that they can run it back. And with more experience, I think that this, this is a team that is to be reckoned with next year. Uh, just a question of, hey, who's going who's gonna to man the middle? Corey Close is a really good game plan. You know, to, you talk about her rotations, just a smart coach with smart players, and that's who she recruits. It looks like you're breaking up a little there, Max, for a second. Looks like you're breaking up. So I'll I'll finish your your point. You know, the game plan's fine. But the thing is, Osborne is the team's leader in points, rebounds per game as a guard, and steals, and was one near the team's leaders in assists. The one thing UCLA needs, though, in terms of game planning, they do need Osborne to work on one key facet of her game. While this was her best overall shooting season from the field, This was her worst three-point shooting season from the field. Her numbers had been around 33, 34, 33%, and then they dipped to 29% from three. So for UCLA to truly compete, and we're not asking Osborne to be crazy, excuse me, crazy Caitlin Clark, right? But that's kind of the effect Osborne can have on this team moving forward, just someone who knows how to rebound, play defense, and score the basketball. And you saw what this team looked like when she was gone. You got another starter. And let's take a look once again at who, who who's coming back. Who are those four leading scores, right? The expected starting four of oh, the returners would be Osborne, Kiki Rice, Emily Bessoir, Bessoir, and then uh, Cameron Brown. Those are the four. Your four scores are Osborne at 16 points per game, Rice, Bessoir at nine, and then London Jones, who could either between her or, as you might say, Gabby Hawkes, battle for that final starting spot and who's going to be the first one off the bench? Well, Hawkins is one of those players who is versatile. She can play as a guard, and she can also be stretched to a to a three or a four. And I, I think that that's what what's so compelling about her. I mean, we talk about her UCLA roots, but really, it's more what she brings to the table. She's a really good defensive presence, and I'm not sure what Corey Close is looking for next year um, in terms of you know her, her game plan. But I, I think Hawkins is going to be a really big part of it. So. You know, regardless of of Gina Conti, you know, moving moving away, I think that there's there's enough depth to provide that that spark, regardless of whether she's playing. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. And again, this the this preseason top twenty five I had seen on ESPN that had UCLA six. They have Utah number two. They had UCLA head of South Carolina on this way too early top twenty five preseason list, and that was without Osborne. Nuts, right? In a year where the women's game saw no top seeds get to the final, both the men's and the women's were pretty crazy, but the women's involved, you know, South Carolina getting upset by Iowa only for Iowa to get, you know, somewhat demolished by LSU in the final. The game was getting more and more viewers at, you know, I think what it broke a record for viewership and ratings. It's getting more and more popular in terms of, oh, we've got some stars. And then Paige is coming back for uh, Paige Beckers for, you know, UConn, everything in between. They're all coming back. And now for UCLA, they said, hey, we've got some unfinished business. They were better than a Sweet 16 finish, I think, this year. 
especially the way this tournament played out, they just got a terrible, terrible matchup. And I think there's only going to be one terrible matchup next year, and that's UConn. And then Utah will certainly be a, a tough battle for UCLA in the Pac-12 alongside Stanford and even USC because they got a top recruit coming in. So exciting times in Westwood, Max. Any other last thoughts you want to share about the women's team? Because Cameron Brown is a nice veteran presence to come back in that starting lineup as well. Yeah, I just think that, you know, there's so much talent on on this women's team, but across the whole sport. So it's it's really cool to see that, that you know, this sport is getting the same national recognition that, that it deserves. Um, 10 million viewers on ESPN for that championship game was, um, that's just an alarming number. So I just, I think it's really cool that they're getting some credit and getting some recognition. And we'll see if the Bruins are in that Final Four, that championship game, come this time next season as the excitement grows and builds. For Westwood, you know, the women's team, funny enough, they look, they have their lineup almost set right now. The men's team, you know, it's it's completely up in the air, could be completely devastated by the draft or the portal and completely changed everything in between. But we'll talk about all that when that happens. We're going to cruise on into segment three and talk about UCLA softball in just a moment. And now we cruise on into segment three of Locked On UCLA. So, Max, you know, you broadcasted UCLA softball. I've been a little downer, a Debbie downer, if you could say, in terms of when they lost a few games. But here they are, 33-4, and winners of six in a row, just wiping through the last couple of Pac-12 series. Seems like they found their footing under Kelly Inouye-Perez, and players are just racking up the awards. It seems like they're once again a true contender in Oklahoma City. No doubt about it. And Zach, you alluded to it when Aaliyah Jordan returns. Uh, I think that fireworks can be shot not only into the sky, but off of her bat. This is a young lady who makes such a huge difference when she's in the lineup. Pac-12 player of the week last week. Um, and, you know, you, you just talk about a, another headline for an already tremendous UCLA lineup. Had Jordan been in this lineup uh, the whole time, I think she would have been stealing headlines all season, maybe you know, her and Maya Brady. But the fact that you have both of those players, um, you know, good to go for action and, and just such a dominant duo inside your lineup, you know, top to bottom, anybody can hurt you. But Jordan was certainly that player who did it last week. A 571 clip over her first couple of games back at Easton Stadium. Two bombs, a 1429 slugging percentage. Just a, a tremendous power hitter. And this is against the number six team in the country in Stanford. So, you know, the, the Bruins able to sweep through Stanford is really exciting to see. I think that's a huge positive right there. Uh, Megan Faramo has been locked and loaded. They only give one run. They only give up one run the entire series. I mean, the Bruins didn't score that much. Let's be clear. They scored 10 runs over three games, which isn't an outstanding average. But when you play those teams later on in the year, you're going to have to win these low-scoring games, especially in the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament, not to cut you off there, Max. But they gave up one run to Stanford. In their last four games, they've given up two runs. And in their last six games, if I can do quick math here, eight runs. So as you can see, Teams can't score right now against UCLA. They're struggling. The Bruins have figured it out in the circle and are making it much easier to win, even if they're not putting up 15, right? If you're only giving up one to two runs and finding ways to win, that's the recipe for success, and I think that's probably what's getting Inouye Perez excited for the rest of this season. Yeah, Brooke Yanez, Megan Faremo, and Taylor Tinsley. It's just it's three pitchers who do some serious damage in the circle. 
And then it's a lineup that provides run production. I mean, what more can you ask for? It, that's that's the recipe for why this team has been so, so good. Yeah, it's outstanding. It's nice to see UCLA. They just came off a dominant win in a midweek at UC San Diego. 10-1, to run-rolled them in six innings. And then now they've got Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and then they get a couple of midweeks because the last weekend of the year, they don't actually have a tournament. They don't have a series. And then they go into the Pac-12 tournament, which starts just around mid-May, early mid-May. And then things get cooking out in Tucson as UCLA has to go to Tucson twice, one for the series and one for the other thing. So the big thing is, Max, are you confident? Can this team, after their early season struggles, of course, it's only one game, but everybody's going to point to it. They got beat down by Oklahoma in that early season tournament out in Cathedral City. Can they go beat Oklahoma? That's going to be the big question. And they have to beat other teams to get there. But it just seems like you're, you're going to have to beat the Sooners and definitely maybe the Cowboys or whoever on in route to even just getting to the finals. I think I think that's the question that a lot of folks around the country are asking. You know, uh, this team can compete with anybody. They have all of the pieces to compete with the best teams in the country. That's why they're number three in the country. And and you know, it's a program who has a history of winning. Oklahoma is a titan right now. This is a program that continues to win, going for its third straight national title. You can equate Oklahoma to Hawaii in men's volleyball, if you will. Um, you know, this is this is a team that has so much poise. But on any given day, if your pitcher is on and Megan, when you have Megan Faramo, by the way, with over 150 strikeouts this year, 17 and two, I think that you're in a pretty good spot to do some serious damage. And this lineup, top to bottom, if Seneca Kuro can return, um, this this team just has all of the pieces necessary to make a run. They just haven't even been 100% healthy. So, yes, absolutely, they are a title contender, 100%. And you can say it was the last game of a long weekend with rain in the forecast down in SoCal, but still, if you get to Oklahoma City, as much as they've extended the Women's College World Series, you still have to deal with the length all the games, everything, how tired you'll be. It just, there'll be so much. You can't talk about how tired they were against Oklahoma. They're healthier. Will the pitching be better despite facing the Sooners? That is the big question we'll find out going forward. And the one thing is, I think UCLA might struggle a little bit earlier in the tournament, but if they get deeper, they might have less struggles. I think there might be a a mid-major or two we're not talking about or seeing that might keep UCLA in some close games. They might get through the, you know, the tournament or the the first round regional at Easton Stadium it might be four to one or four to two, and they come back like they did earlier in the year. But then once they get to Oklahoma City, I think they'll turn it on. And it's going to be what happens when they face one of those Oklahoma schools in a de facto road game in an atmosphere that's going to be either all red or all orange, and there might be very little blue and gold. Right? There, it's just that's just how it is. That's the toughness. That's why it's so tough to go beat them over there with the tournament and the championship on the line. I know they did it in 2019. But that's when you had everybody and the best pitcher and you had Rachel Garcia and everything going. This team has got some youth, some transfers, and some veterans all gelling at the right time. And we're happy to see UCLA is fighting for some success. In the meantime, for Max Kelton, I'm Zach anderson Yoxam. We're going to wrap up this Locked On UCLA podcast. I'll come back with more Friday content. In the meantime, as UCLA fans know, how we always end the episode for the Locked On UCLA podcast. Hands up, Bruins fans. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, U, C, L, A, U, C, L, A, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.